You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. The tweets were coming at me fast and furious. I hope you saw this, Dan. I'm sure everyone is sending this to you, Dan. You're going to have to issue a correction, Dan. A correction? Uh, No. An update? Yes. We have discussed semen and vaginal secretions in the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, more than once. While it's always been kind of obvious and common sensey that it would be easy to catch COVID-19 if you got close enough to someone who had the virus to actually have sex with that person, and most people with the virus are asymptomatic, so you can't tell who has it just by looking at them, we were initially told that the virus hadn't been detected in semen or vaginal secretions and therefore likely wasn't sexually transmissible. However likely it was to be transmitted during sex, it wasn't going to be a sexually transmitted infection when it grew up. Which may seem like a distinction without a difference, but it does kind of matter. The more and different ways a disease can be transmitted, the likelier it is to be transmitted. But after being told that the virus wasn't found in these bodily fluids, we were informed by none other than Dr. Jen Gunter herself that the virus hadn't been found in those bodily fluids because they hadn't looked for it. Which begged the question, why not? Then we got some reassuring news two weeks ago. They were looking, and the results of a pair of small studies, one of semen, spunk, jizz, cum, the other of vaginal secretions, gruel, pussy nectar, clitty litter, found no evidence of the virus in semen or vaginal secretions. But those studies, as I noted when we talked about them, were small. But the headlines were big. No virus in semen or vaginal secretions. Well, a new study came out last week. Another study with a small sample size. And the headlines were huge. And people on Twitter wanted to make sure I saw them. Here's the headline from The Guardian. COVID-19 found in semen of infected men. Piece goes on. Chinese researchers who tested the sperm of men infected with COVID-19 found a minority had the new coronavirus in their semen. This opened up a small chance the disease could be sexually transmitted. The virus was found in only six of 38 men tested. A previous small study of 12 COVID-19 patients, the Guardian went on to note, that would be, of course, the study we talked about on the show previously. That study found that all of them tested negative for the presence of COVID-19 in their semen samples. More studies are needed, as the Guardian also notes, the virus in semen has to be new and active to be infectious, and it wasn't clear from the study if that was the case. So as of right now, what we know now, it's been found in semen, but we still don't know if COVID-19 is sexually transmitted, but you'll probably get it if you have sex with somebody who has it. Uh, Let's just say the semen situation remains fluid. More study needed, and as more information dribbles out, we will blow it at you. But we know more now than we did two months ago, thanks in large part to COVID-19 patients who are participating in these studies. It's like they say, not all heroes wear capes. Some heroes jack off in Dixie cups. And before we get to the show, a quick word to the person who sent me a 4,000-word email attacking me for shaming the dick zombies in the park near my house. I'll own it. The dick zombies do make me a little uncomfortable, and I think that probably came across in my tone. But I don't have to be comfortable with everything, and I can be personally uncomfortable with something while still approving of it and of the people who enjoy it, like Conalingus. 
but I'm going to have to pass on the dick zombie challenge. That's what this particular listener wants me to do once there's a vaccine, once it's safe to go to the park and eat some dicks in the dark. Yeah, no. I like to see the person whose dick I'm eating or who's eating my dick. Call me old-fashioned or call me risk-averse. I just don't really want to wind up accidentally sucking my dad's dick, you know? Now, my dad lives in Phoenix and he's not gay and he can't get on a plane right now. And so the chance of that happening is really low. But it can't be mathematically eliminated. And even if you could mathematically eliminate the chance of me sucking my dad off in a pitch black park, I have uncles. I have brothers. And even if I was an orphan, I'm sorry, the uneliminatable risk of accidentally sucking off Tucker Carlson isn't worth the potential reward of getting to suck off Sean Mendez. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and Mark Marin is here. We have a battle royale about sex addiction. Mark Marin also sticks around for the Magnum, which is the subscription Savage Lovecast. It's the same Savage Lovecast, but longer, more guests, more questions, and no ads. You can subscribe to that Savage Lovecast at savagelovecast.com. But Mark Marin on the Magnum and the micro on today's show, coming right up. Me Undies makes feel good underpants your butt will be proud to wear and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own. And to check it out yourself, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Do you need to build a website for your business or for a creative or political project you have going on? Building a website does not have to be tedious or unpleasant. It can be easy and with Squarespace it can actually be fun. Squarespace makes it a breeze to crank out a beautiful, professional-looking website or blog or even an online store. They have templates that were created by world-class designers that you can just drop in and it looks good right away. And they have built-in e-commerce so you can sell stuff. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. And if you need help, they have 24-7 support. You can make it yourself so easily and make it stand out with Squarespace. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SAVAGE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash SAVAGE and use the offer code SAVAGE. Want to save money, save the planet, and look good while you're doing it? It doesn't get any better than ThreadUp, the largest online consignment and thrift store. Shop over 35,000 brands at up to 90% off estimated retail. Go to threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off your first order. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off today. Hi, Dan. 44-year-old husband and father of three here to answer the call for guys to offer quarantine sex stories. My wife and I have been married for over 15 years and have three awesome children. Since the quarantine began, we've obviously had more time together and it's been awesome. She got me into the TV series Outlander, which has a ton of great sex scenes. We binge watched all five seasons and began to have an almost daily romp in our bedroom in the late afternoons. And for parents of three, you know, that's incredible. One particular day after we turned the TV up in the bedroom and locked the door per usual, things began to heat up. We were standing at the foot of the bed making out heavily, but when I would normally guide her to fall on the bed, she began to resist. She started guiding me down, which for her and her submissive nature was very unusual. 
It happened pretty quick, but just as I was about to give in and kneel in front of her to see where this was going, she pulled away from my lips and whispered heavily, Get on the floor, fucker. Dude, as reserved as she is, this sent me through the roof, and I could not have laid down fast enough. She quickly jumped on top and rode me on the floor, something she knew I'd been wanting to do for a while to feel the firm resistance. We both came hard, and it was incredible. We joked about it for days, and on a funny footnote, during this romp, she got a rug burn on her left knee that she had to nurse for a few days. One by one, each kid would eventually ask Mommy where she got her boo-boo. I enjoyed watching her squirm and explain it, ultimately three different ways. Thank you for calling and sharing. Sorry about Mommy's boo-boo. We're opening each week's show with a quarantine sex story from a listener. If you've got a good one, give us a call, 206-302-2064, and share your story of quarantine time sex. Hi, Dan. I'm a 23-year-old cis woman in the Midwest. I've never been in a relationship, and I've barely even kissed anybody besides, like, playful kisses with friends. I'm overweight, and I have been my whole life, and I think I've always attributed other people's lack of interest in me to that, sort of like an excuse. It wasn't until about two and a half years ago that I realized I might be bisexual when I found myself falling in love with a good friend. It's hard for me to know my sexual orientation for sure because I've never had a romantic relationship with anyone man or woman. Uh, I went through a phase where I was struggling in my platonic relationships with men because I had an abusive dad growing up. This led to some trauma and resulting depression and anxiety. I was in therapy for a while before quarantine, and I feel I've made great strides. But my current main concern now is figuring out why I haven't been in a relationship and how to make that happen. On top of that, I think I have some internalized homophobia or biphobia, I guess, that I'm trying to overcome but don't really know how. So my question is, what do you recommend as first steps moving forward for me? I know quarantine complicates all of it, but I think I have a lot of love to give. I know I do. And I think I would be a compassionate, supportive partner. I think of myself as a great friend. I just want something more. So I'd love some advice. I want to share a couple of relevant facts, actually three relevant facts, and try to offer you a little bit of perspective where I send you onto internet dating platforms, onto dating apps, which is all we can do right now. The first fact is there are a lot more overweight people around than ever before. People are trending larger. Also, people are waiting until later in life to begin having sex. The age of sexual initiation has risen. So at 23, you're not so freakishly inexperienced. There's lots of people in your age cohort who are as inexperienced as you are, and you should just put that out there, put yourself out there, and not be self-conscious about that. And finally, you know, we're in this moment, as I said, where internet dating is about all that's available to us. We're all in that same boat. So my advice to you would be to do what so many people are doing right now and take advantage of the dating apps, take advantage of personals websites, which is how the plurality of opposite sex couples meet these days, and it is how the overwhelming majority of same-sex couples have been meeting these days is online. Put yourself out there online. Get some flattering, take some yourself, flattering but accurate pictures that are recent. Share them and you know, answer the questionnaires on the app uh, about your interests and you know share your stats and then you will get responses. People who are attracted to you for who you are, not despite who you are, 
will respond to your ad. You might get some guff from some haters. You just delete those and move on. It's a risk that everybody runs when they put themselves out there online. There are trolls and assholes. Ignore them. And the stakes are low right now because you have this, not excuse, we, you know, we all are facing this reality where we can't meet up in person at the moment. So people are connecting online. So it really has turned the standard advice that we've been giving people about those, you know, online matchups, which was to not invest too much emotional energy and, you know, 10,000 direct message exchanges or texting or sexting all the time before you meet up the first time. And that's kind of flipped on its head. Go ahead and really connect with somebody online. Exchange as many messages as you want. Sext and text if you want, if you feel comfortable with that person before you meet up because we can't really meet up right now unless you meet up from a nice safe distance, perhaps on a walk if you've met somebody in your area. But give yourself some credit. You know, you had an, uh, an abusive parent. You had to do a lot of work. You're only 23, so you're young yet and you've done the work and it sounds to me like you're in a really good place to begin to explore in the ways that you can explore right now your sexuality and your romantic interests. And if you are also attracted to women, please go ahead and put that out there. And I would encourage you to look up bisexual activist Robin Oaks who has a terrific definition of bisexuality that I'm constantly sharing with people. I call myself bisexual because I acknowledge that I have in myself the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one gender, not necessarily at the same time, not necessarily in the same way, and not necessarily to the same degree. A lot of people get it in their heads that they're not entitled to identify as bisexual, to explore relationships with both or all genders, unless they are equally attracted to all, equally attracted to men and women. And that's just not the case. There are a lot of heteroromantic bisexuals out there, a lot of homoromantic bisexuals out there, a lot of biromantic bisexuals out there who may be equally attracted to both. So you can identify as bisexual and make it clear to people that you are still exploring, that you really haven't had any experience in romantic relationships yet. And sometimes people are shy about disclosing that fact because they don't want to be rejected. And of course, you have to see that from a totally different angle. You have to see that from the opposite direction. If somebody runs from you because you're inexperienced, that's not somebody that you would have been safe with as an inexperienced person. That's not somebody you could have trusted to be patient and kind and caring. They've identified themselves in that moment when they bolted as someone who is impatient, unkind, uncaring, and therefore not someone you wanted to have around anyway, so good fucking riddance. Go onto those apps with some confidence about your attractiveness. Not all bodies are to all tastes, but your body is to someone's or many someone's tastes. And go onto those apps feeling entitled to identify for now, as bisexual, and to entertain offers and connections from men and women and everything else in between. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. We are all living online, right? I'm online, you're online. So if you find yourself in need of setting up a website to blog or make connections or move your business online, thank goodness Squarespace is here to help. They make it easy to create a beautiful website without having massive web design or coding skills. It's intuitive, simple to use, and genuinely the most efficient way to get a website up quickly. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They have great-looking templates that you can just drop in and it looks good right away. You can collaborate with other members of your group or do an email blast. 
connect with social media, pretty much anything you need for a website, Squarespace is way ahead of you and they've thoughtfully included it. Head on over to squarespace.com savage for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code savage to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com savage and use the offer code savage. Hi, Dan. This may be a question unlike any you've ever gotten. I've been married to my husband for over 40 years, really long time. He's had a lot of health problems and last year he had his leg amputated. Um, I'm very turned off by his body now and he would like to resume sexual relations and I'm just not into it. My question is, after all this time, do I kind of owe this to him? Is it fair for me to like just arbitrarily decide that that part of our lives is over? Please don't tell me that he should go to a sex worker because that's just not really going to happen. This is unlike any question I've ever received before, and I'm really struggling. You have every right to decide you're done with sex. What you don't have is a right in a relationship to unilaterally declare someone else's sexual life to be over. Saddens me that your husband had to get his leg amputated, and now because of that amputation, you find the rest of him physically repulsive and can't connect with him sexually. You also rule out allowing for him to get his needs met elsewhere. You don't have to fuck your husband, none of us has to fuck anybody, but if we're going to declare ourselves done with sex or done with someone sexually and we do not wish to exit that relationship or end that marriage, and we don't want that other person to exit the relationship or end the marriage, and that other person isn't done with sex, then you have to make an allowance. You have to create an accommodation that works for both partners where you are not obligated to have sex with somebody that you don't want to have sex with anymore for a reason that to me seems cruel, but that allows for that person to still have some sexual outlet, sexual release. If you want to stay in this relationship, if they want to stay in the relationship after you declare yourself done with sex or at least done with sex with them, allowing your husband to see a sex worker seems to me a perfectly reasonable accommodation. Once we're allowed to see sex workers again, you rule it out, you dismiss it, out of hand. I don't know what you expect me to do. I can't reach into your husband's brain and remove from it all desire for intimacy with his wife for sex, for sexual release. That isn't on the table. That That's not possible. So by not wishing to have sex with him yourself, because you are repulsed by his body, by the condition of his body now, and perhaps you're still reeling from the amputation, maybe in time, you would come to accept his body in the condition that it is currently in. And after 40 years together, I'm sure both your bodies have changed in radical ways. Time is a motherfucking meat grinder and it makes hamburger of us all. And one of the things that a long, long, long ass term relationship needs or, or we expect from it is that even as our bodies change, even as we physically become different people, sometimes unrecognizable, that there's some connection that transcends the physical and allows for there to be a sexual connection that's rooted in an attraction 
that still exist to the person, even if their body is unrecognizable to you. Now, that's presuming a you know long-term relationship where sex is still important or sex is central. And that's not true of all long-term relationships. Sex may be very important early on in a relationship and well into the fifth decade may be less important for those two people. I'm not one of those sex advice peddlers who thinks that a relationship has to be sexual for it to be loving or or valid. Sometimes we pathologize relationships where the sex has ended in a way that makes people in those sorts of relationships feel as if they're doing love wrong when, you know, if both people are happy and content and neither misses sex, they're not doing love and commitment and, and relationships wrong just because someone else is projecting onto their relationship their own presumed unhappiness if that was their relationship. But that only works. A relationship that's loving and committed was once sexual is not now sexual if both people are content. I think we can assume that your husband wouldn't be content. You wouldn't be calling if your husband wasn't attempting to initiate sex or asking you for sex. You're going to have to get a little bit more creative. Turn off the fucking lights. Don't look. Or allow for him to enjoy pornography. And perhaps if he misses the human contact that you are because of this amputation, no longer comfortable providing him with because you are repulsed by his body in a way that to me, again, after four decades together, seems so cruel. He misses that kind of human contact. If he was calling me, I would tell him he was entitled to go find it elsewhere. You called me. You told me that he, you don't want him to go find it elsewhere. All right. Okay. You can tell him he's not allowed. You can tell him you're not going to fuck him. You can tell him you're repulsed by his body. You can tell him, you, I guess you would leave him if he saw a sex worker. And I hope that he does what he needs to do to stay married to you and stay sane if that's what he wishes to do and discreetly sees a sex worker and then comes home to you content and your relationship isn't swamped by the resentment he's likely to feel if your rejection of him is coupled with no intimacy for him ever again. It is a dangerous myth that you can or should just keep wearing the same pair of underpants for years. You really can't and simply mustn't because new underpants, they're good for you. They're good for your physical, mental, and sexual health. And you know what? Your partners, they probably want to see you in a new pair of underpants Every once in a while, me undies, they make it easy to keep your underwear drawer delightful with a membership from me undies every month. The softest, coziest undies appear at your door as your undie collection grows, your laundry time lessens. Plus, a membership comes with site wide savings, early access, and free shipping. Me undies, all me undies are made from micromodal, an irresistibly soft, sustainable fabric that encases your nether regions in a cloud of comfort. They're also magically made from trees. If you've ever hugged a tree, this is the tree's chance to hug you back. MeUndies are offered in a range of sizes from XS to 4XL. And they don't just sell underpants. I love my lounge pants. Nancy loves her robe. They also sell the world's most incredibly comfortable t-shirts, socks, shorts, tons of clothes, all stylish, all just astoundingly comfortable. 
MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. And they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. To get your 15% off your first order, free shipping, a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. That's MeUndies.com slash savage. Hello, Dan. Um, I'm calling you with a question regarding a friend of mine that I've known for well over a decade, and I'd like a little bit of an insight of your insight into this situation. So when I met this person, um, like I said, well over a decade ago, we became pretty quick friends, and and she revealed gradually over time that uh, she and her husband had just gotten out of a really rough time period due to his addiction. They were kind of on the brink of divorce, but he had gone to recovery. He had a sponsor. He apologized to her. He was very remorseful. He was trying to make things better. They were going to counseling together and individually. And and basically, from my point of view, things were working. And this actually went on for quite a few years. He overcame it. They were on a good path. I think there was always a little bit of concern you know, not 100% faith or trust that it was going to be a long-lived thing, but they made it work at the time. So a couple of years ago, he actually revealed to her that he was not sober anymore and that he wanted to redefine his sobriety and and that he, he hadn't been sober for about a year. She was obviously really devastated by this, really, really hurt by this, and they did eventually end up getting divorced. It was around that time that she also shared with me what his addiction was, and he was addicted to pornography and masturbation. So whenever she would use the term sober or sobriety, she was referring to him refraining from masturbation and pornography. And I found that when she was talking about him, she would talk about him in in this really negative, like, he's a sex addict, I can't trust him, my kids can't be around him, a very, like, dirty and shameful way. And what I'm looking for you is just some insight on the difference between somebody who likes masturbation and pornography and somebody who actually has an addiction. And is it is it appropriate to use the word sober for somebody who is refraining from masturbation and pornography? Those behaviors are not... <laughs> They're not harmful. I understand that that can be part of of normal human sexuality. And so I I just kind of struggle with wanting to support her, but also feeling like, I guess I don't really understand where that line is between a sex addict and and maybe just somebody who likes these behaviors, but their their system, their support system, their family system is maybe seeing them as very negative or troublesome. Joining me by phone to help tackle this question, because why not? Mark Marin, stand-up comic, writer, actor, host of the super and huge and important WTF podcast. Also uh, starred in Glow on Netflix as Sam Silvio, who ran a women's professional wrestling outfit and got to play himself last year on The Simpsons, which is my ultimate career aspiration that has not yet come true. Hey, Mark, how are you doing? I am good, Dan. Thank you for having me. Nice to uh, hear your voice again. Nice to hear your voice again, too. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I feel like we should take a moment just to to recognize that in podcasting years, we're both kind of dinosaurs at it's this point. Crazy. We've been doing this a long time. Crazy. It, we, we, yeah, we've been doing it a long time. I think you were probably longer than me, at least, I think. And, you know, now fucking everybody. Yeah, everybody's got a 
Katie Kirk's got a podcast. But not just Katie Kirk. Everybody's got a fucking I think podcast. The guy across the street from me probably has one. I'm, I'm pretty sure my neighbors do. It's like it's it's nuts. And now celebrities are being encouraged to have them. If they've been on shows, they found this loophole where if a celebrity has spent many years on a popular show, they can't really use that show as a trademark, but they can get on and talk about their experience on that show with someone else from the show and make a fortune. I said like a decade ago, you know, riffing on the famous Andy Warhol quote, that in the future, everybody would have a podcast for 15 episodes. <laughs> and it came true, at least 15 episodes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm really thrilled to have you. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, I'd like to just invite smart, interesting, funny people on every once in a while to tackle a couple of sex questions with me because advice, anybody can give it. Literally says in the dictionary, opinion about what could or should be done. The only qualification you need to give advice is somebody asked you for your opinion, and I'm asking you for yours. Okay, I'm ready. So this woman discovers after all these years that her friend, when she was talking about her husband, ex-husband, about that person's sobriety and not being sober and being sober, wasn't talking about booze or pills, was talking about porn and jacking off uh, as a famously sober person. What did you think? I I am somebody who believes that porn addiction is a, a real thing. And I, I I do I know people who have been completely you know consumed with it. I, I know people who have been the, the guys who are, you know, will spend three to four hours doing it, you know, going after that nut. I do think there's something about the engagement with it over long periods of time that sort of change it that you can it, you operate your brain with a, a certain buzz to it. So I, as a sober guy, I believe that porn addiction happens. My sponsor uh, once framed it as, you know, if you're, if your primary sexual partner is yourself, you better want to make sure you know that. And that's what you want. So, mm-hmm. so I think that, uh, that her, like, however that woman was reacting to her husband, I don't know that we know the, the nuances how, of how, consumed he was but i also know from personal experience that if you watch too much porn it will desensitize you to a certain degree and and create a weird set of expectations if you're not careful i i I hate to be the bearer of bad news or to 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 challenge you but the, the the research is comes out against your position yeah that porn addiction isn't real, that it's not a chemical addiction. There's not some addiction to the the, the pleasure hormones it releases. Uh, and most people who consider themselves, who identify as porn addicts, it's a religious thing. And they're shaming themselves for this. having a high libido, yeah. for you know expressing themselves in particular ways. That said, even people who don't believe that porn addiction or sex addiction is real believe that people can have obsessive compulsive disorders that focus on sex and porn and that it can become a problem in their lives, but it's the OCD. That's the problem. Porn is just the tool. I guess. Porn is just I, yeah, what they picked okay, up. Okay. I mean, I, I, but you know, obsessive compulsiveness, you know, uh, you know, could it, you know, cocaine is just a problem, but, you know, it's it's really the OCD that's the issue. Compulsive people are compulsive people. Well, you could become chemically addicted to cocaine. You can't right, become right, well, chemically let's, addicted let's, to let's, pornography. Well, it's, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess that's true. But, I mean, I will go by the, the standard set by the, the idea of recovery is that if you are if, – if your life has become unmanageable because of this obsession – or this compulsion, not unlike gambling or food or whatever the fuck it is, then, you know, mm-hmm. you have to reckon with it as, you know, within that structure if you choose to do that. And I believe it will work. 
I absolutely agree with you. There are definitely people, you know, you can do too much of anything. Right. I can think to gay men all my professional life. It is possible to suck too much dick. Yeah. Just because all the dick in the world is out there and easily available to us doesn't mean we need to put it all in our mouths. And if you're putting it all in your mouth, you might have a problem. So I definitely think porn can become a problem in people's lives, but it's about managing and controlling yourself, not some like mysterious quality in porn where if you're just exposed to enough of it, you're going to tip into an addiction. No, I, yeah, I guess that's, I, I understand what you're saying and I guess that's true, but because of, of how easy it is to get, like when I was a kid, you know, to find porn, you know, it, it just wasn't everywhere. I mean, you buy computers and you know, they come with porn on them, it seems. So the thing is, I, I feel what you're saying is true, but if you, if you need to suck all that dick all the time, that I mean, you know, you still need other people and you still kind of I got to set time aside for that. You know, it seems with porn that it's a solitary experience and that you can really lock down for hours and hours and then you get yourself into a fog. Everyone who I've known who's been compulsive about porn definitely gets high off of it. Now, whether or not that's not substantiated by science, I just know for a fact that the guys who lock in and ride that fucking orgasm for three to four hours mm-hmm. a day, you know, chasing that one thing. Sure. I mean, that's a, a maybe an overactive libido. Maybe it's a little obsessive, but if you're doing it twice a day or once a day for three to four hours and you're, you're, you're not doing other things in your life or paying attention to the people that are in your life, I, I would say it's an addictive problem. That I agree. That is a problem. You know, it's a problem if, you know, you're not showing up for work. It's a problem if you're prioritizing your relationship to cam models over your relationship to your wives or girlfriends or boyfriends uh, or husbands. But it's just that the science isn't there, that, that there's I, not okay. a chemical. And, you know, if they started putting heroin in the water, okay. we would all soon be addicted to the water as an addict. a chemical addiction. But yeah, I get you know, it. As an addict, there, there, there's plenty of porn available. Like I, I, you know, porn is. Whoever thought that it was a great idea to take this thing that most of us have to work on all day long, our laptops, and also make it the the spigot yeah. for porn. Right? Yeah, not a great idea. Maybe it's a little bit more of a control okay. when you have to fish the magazine out from under the bed. Less of a control now, but that control for most of us is internal, and and most of us are able. To, to access it when we want to and not maybe I mean I screw I, our lives I, I, up, I get, screw our relationships up. I understand that you're hinging your definition of addiction on the science. And that's that's fine. You know, my sense of addiction does not hinge on that. That, you know, like what you're calling compulsive behavior or obsessive behavior still falls into my rubric of what I understand mm. addiction to be. So you're saying that there's no evidence that it creates any different sort of thing in your brain that, you know, would be substantiate the chemical nature of though, you know, if you walk around having an orgasm all the time or you ride the edge of orgasm, if I just think of that, I have to assume that maybe you're telling me is true that whatever I'm feeling has nothing to do with my brain, that when I come and that explosion happens, that that has nothing to do with brain chemicals. Okay, I guess uh, I don't know the science, but I do know that the way that addiction has been framed to me, that it's it's a it's not it's a psychological and it's also a compulsive and obsessive thing. But the framework I work with is if your life is unmanageable because of this thing you do compulsively, 
then you have a problem. And I can call it an addiction. If the science isn't there, it's fine. Is the science there for people that get addicted to to uh, not paying their bills, to using their credit card too often? Is that science there? Is food, I guess food would be similar to sex in a way. Uh, I mean, is the science there that that's a brain-altering drug? There's Clearly people have food addiction problems and clearly people have gambling addiction problems. So it's, it would seem that, I wonder, this, what are the studies on that? Those seem s- s- similar to me. I see what you're saying about, about, you know, that we're kind of having a semantic discussion where I'm trying to talk about science. And also, like, one of the things that makes me nervous about embracing the addiction model when it comes to sex and porn is most of the organizations and groups out there pushing that understanding, that model, are religious organizations that are always trying to insert themselves between us and our junk and our genitals and our pleasures and stigmatizing what might be for one person just a high libido, not out of control. Yeah. Most people who go to quote-unquote sex addiction treatment don't have unmanageable lives. They just have spouses or partners who are unhappy or they're from religious traditions that stigmatize what for anybody else would be a normal, healthy uh, appetite and, and, and libido and interest in sex. Uh, but using your understanding and your framing, you're okay, you, you think it's all right for this woman's friend to describe her husband's or ex-husband's problem as sober or not sober when it comes to being on or off the, the jack off sites. I think it's okay. I don't know her to be a religious person. You know, I, I mean, however it has affected their lives, that's not clear from that call to me. Uh, but, but no, I don't have any problem with it, but I understand what you're saying. And I've heard this, uh, uh, argument before from a sex worker. I know, around, you know, porn addiction. Yeah, I'm sorry that religious people use it as a wedge, but the people that I've known in my own experience with porn, you know, are are not mm-hmm. are not, you know, copping to the addiction or calling it an addiction because they hate women or they're shaming themselves. You know, they're there because they're married and they have a life and, you know, late at night they're spending 4 to 5 hours jerking off to porn and it's affecting how they engage you know, with their significant other or their partner, and it's infecting how they, you know, engage with reality in general. So it's not my experience, the religious part of it, but but I, I certainly understand the shame around this stuff. But the guys I'm talking about are fucking animals. They're not... They're... <laughs> <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for jumping on the phone. <laughs> Thanks for talking to me, Dan. Mark stuck around to take another question. It is on the Magnum. We have, believe it or not, a long and involved conversation about fucking machines. You're not going to want to miss that. If you, like most people, are watching your budget a little more closely these days, you can still freshen up your wardrobe and have fun shopping for clothes at ThreadUp. ThreadUp is the world's largest online thrift store with up to 90% off estimated retail. You get the insane deals of thrifting with the convenience of online shopping from all your favorite brands. Score Nike from five bucks, J. Crew or American Eagle starting at six bucks, plus thousands more brands all for a fraction of the price. You can get a whole new wardrobe without ever leaving the house. There are new arrivals every minute, so there's always something new to discover at ThreadUp.com. Shop online, customize your search by size, style, and budget so you can get the best deals instantly. It's so easy. Items are in high-quality condition. Some even still have their tags on them, all delivered right to your door. Nancy's daughter is going through a massive growth spurt and really needs some new clothes. They had a great time picking things out at ThreadUp, and they are excited for that box to arrive. Get the styles you love at a fraction of the price. You'll look and feel good, and it's good for the environment to reuse and recycle in this way. You will look and feel good about yourself with ThreadUp. And for Savage Lovecast listeners, there's an exclusive offer just for you. 
Get an extra 30% off your first order at threadup.com slash savage. That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P dot com slash savage for 30% off your first order. Threadup.com slash savage for an extra 30% off today. Terms apply. Hi, Dan. We're calling from quarantine here in Denver. And my girlfriend and I were just wondering if it's safe to put sweets, specifically caramello, in our vagina to eat it out. Your input is greatly appreciated. Here's my input. Don't put that in your vagina. Don't put food in your vagina. I don't, you know, even if it was safe, and it's not necessarily safe, introducing particularly sweet foods into your vagina can upset your pH balance. You can wind up with bacterial vaginosis. You don't want bacterial vaginosis. But even if you could, even if it was safe to stuff a candy bar up your twat, why would you want to? You know, one of the first like quote unquote sexually adventurous or kinky things I did as a very young person was use whipped cream because I'd heard that was a thing that sometimes adults did when they were getting wild. And 10 minutes later, the whipped cream, you know, basically melts on your body and then it smells like a, a baby barfed on you. There's nothing sexy about it. We have so many opportunities as Americans to eat Carmelo and to eat chocolate sauce and to eat whipped cream. We don't need to incorporate the ingestion of those food products into sex. Hopefully your girlfriend's vagina tastes good enough without the Carmelo pouring out of it. All that said, if you really must, there is a way to do this safely. And that is to put a female condom in your girlfriend's vagina and fill the female condom with Carmelo. And then she can... Kegel it out all over your face. But I don't see what's so sexy about that. My advice is always to have sex, then dessert. Don't combine dessert with sex. Hi, Dan. I'm a mid-20s female and have been with my partner for seven years. From early on, I knew his masturbation is kinky. I won't go too much into detail, but he wears female clothing and imagines himself as a woman fucking another woman. But our sex life is great. He's dominant and masculine, just how I like it. This feminine side he has doesn't turn me on, but I'm respectful and open-minded of it. I've tried to have him come out of the closet as queer, but he shuts that down, probably because of the shame. I've even encouraged him to seek a woman who's turned on by cross-dressing, but he doesn't want that either. So now we're at a standstill and rarely talk about it. What's your perspective, Dan? Your boyfriend is entitled to a zone of erotic autonomy, entitled to some privacy. He has a, a fantasy that he likes to explore solo during masturbation, and you need to back the fuck off and stop telling him he needs to identify as queer. And if this isn't something that he wants to explore IRL in real life, if this is something that he wants to keep as a fantasy and masturbate about, you have to respect that. There may come a time when he does want to identify as queer or experiment with his gender expression publicly or maybe actually connect with someone who wants to play with him you know, while he's cross-dressed and you probably assume, I'm presuming you don't want to play with him when he's cross-dressed. You don't want to explore this with him, but you've encouraged him perhaps to explore with others. So he knows that he has a loving partner 
who would be willing to go there with him if he ever wants to go there. But you can't rush him anymore or push him or bully him anymore. He doesn't owe you a queer identity. He doesn't owe himself identifying as queer necessarily. And if this isn't something he wants to do with another person or it would ruin it to do it with another person for him because in his fantasies, it's perfect. And in reality, it's not, it's going to fall short. He doesn't have to do it for you. If he wants to do it for him, great. And he knows that if that day ever comes when he wants to do it, it's okay with his girlfriend. Now you need to shut up about it. Now you need to back off. Now you need to let it go and stop policing your boyfriend's Gender identity, his gender expression, his masturbatory fantasies, his desire to be with somebody else, if indeed he has any desire to be with anybody else. And right now it doesn't sound like he does. So back the fuck off. Enjoy the the sexual connection that you two have together and stop making a problem out of what is not a problem. Everybody masturbates. I assume you masturbate too at times. Lots of people have fantasies that they explore when they masturbate, some things that they like to think about and they have zero interest in exploring it during partnered sex. And you just have to accept that as your boyfriend's truth. It may change. There may come a time where that's not his truth anymore, where he does want to explore it with somebody else or maybe explore it with you. And when that time comes, when he brings it up, then you can go there. <laughs> right now, right now, you just need to back way the fuck up and back way the fuck off. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the tech savvy at rescue. This is more of a comment than a question, and it's not quite a sexy COVID love story, but I just got a text message from one of my FWBs, and I live alone, so I haven't seen him in a few months now, and it's breaking my heart a little bit, or maybe breaking my dick a little bit, but that's fine. Uh, And hearing from him totally made my day and just made me feel a lot better. So if you have... An FWB out there who you know lives alone, reach out to them, say hi, tell them you're thinking about them. I know we played a similar call a few weeks ago, but I wanted to play your call as well because I endorse this practice. There are a lot of people out there with FWBs. There are a lot of people out there in open relationships who have secondary partners or occasional partners who are alone and live alone and don't have the benefit of sheltering in place with somebody that they feel close to, aren't having any sex, but also aren't feeling seen or remembered or thought of. And it really can help someone at a moment where we're all struggling just to reach out, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. And FWB, for me, always the most important letter is F. It's friends with benefits. Sometimes people worry that, you know, just just an FWB is just a fuck buddy relationship. And if I show any concern for this person's feelings, if I reach out to them, they may misinterpret that as an interest in something more or a commitment or, you know, a committed romantic relationship. No, 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 no. (laughs) Don't don't fall into that narcissistic self-regard where you think that if you show the slightest human decency and concern for a sex partner that they're going to suddenly think that you've proposed marriage to them. Don't, don't, don't do that. Err on the side of showing some uh, affection and concern of being your FWB's F, their friend. Reach out to them, obviously, per this caller. And thank you for calling caller. It can make a difference. It can really make somebody's day.
All right, before we get to response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Alec Adam tweeted, It's day something of quarantine, and I'm so glad I made it out of the grocery store before at Fake Dan Savage explained exactly how to finger a man on this week's Savage Lovecast. Now that I'm home, I'm going to run a bath and play that again. Hope you enjoyed our bath time, Adam. Ethley Ann Ver tweets, Hey at Fake Dan Savage, I get your concept of stay sane and stay married, and I co-sign under some circumstances, but financial dependence, i.e. I don't want to give up my meal ticket, is a shitty excuse for cheating on a spouse. All right, that is sometimes the circumstance, but when financial dependence is cited, it's not always the person doing the cheating who's the financially dependent one. Often... Maybe just as often, it is the cheater, someone cheating with cause, who doesn't want to leave and impoverish the person they're cheating on. Infidelity, it's always more complicated than people want to pretend it is. And finally, Amy Falconrath tweets, Oh man, can I please request that the phrase, eat the shit out of your pussy, not be repeated on the Savage Lovecast. Okay, yeah, you got a point there. We will avoid that phrase in future. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, please be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hey, Dan, this is a response call to the man who's asking if it is ethical to get into a relationship with a woman hoping that she changes her stance on no sex before marriage. I think your advice about figuring out exactly what that means is great because it could mean no kissing, but it could also mean everything but PIV. On the other hand, I'm a little concerned with the rest of your advice because you told him her getting into a relationship with him could mean that she's okay with the fact that he does want to have sex, but it seems like of the two of them, she's actually the one who talked to him about what she wants and what she expects, and it's actually in his court to decide whether he's okay with that. So I feel like him going back to her and saying, I know you already told me what your price of admission is, but here's my price of admission. Now you decide yes or no. It seems like that was already done by her. And now he's the one who just needs to say, okay, I can deal with that or okay, I can't. And if he just gets into a relationship, if I were her, I would assume that he is okay with what she already told him about not having sex. Again, just in responding to somebody who is a sub-bounding gag who can't necessarily say a safe word. What about humming? Try this the next time that you, or put it out to your listeners, one of them may be bounding gag. Try humming, modulating your tone. Happy birthday to you as a safe word. Works wonders. Hi, Dan. I have the perfect word. I think it's the perfect word for female ejaculate that you've been looking for. Weminade. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Or better than calling that number, you can use the Voice Memo app on your phone and email us your question at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. My Dirty Little Porn Film Festival made its online debut this weekend. It streamed to thousands of happy hump fans and happy new hump fans all over the world. There are still tickets available for every weekend through June 12th, including a special time for European humpers. Go to humpfilmfest.com to find a time that works for you and grab your tickets. And this is a perfect time to get busy making a film for hump, either with a friend, a partner, even solo, someone you live with, someone you're sheltering with. Go to humpfilmfest.com and learn how to submit your film. 
Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Check out the WTF podcast with Mark Marin, as well as Mark Marin's new special, End Times Fun, streaming now on Netflix. And of course, follow Mark Marin on Twitter at Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. Bye.